Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman, and today I'm talking to Colly Cristanti, who has a certain expertise in trauma and self-sabotage. And you know, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have thought there was any kind of connection between sugar and trauma, although I can see how self-sabotage can affect how we relate to sugar and reach out to comfort foods, even when we don't really want to. So we'll be talking about that today, but just before, I'd like to invite you to my website, aftersugarclub.com, to surf around and download the free resources there, like my simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar, as well as for you to watch the videos there about what to eat, how to find foods at the grocery store that don't contain added sugars, and also about what's the deal with fermented foods, because I talk about that in Life After Sugar, and not a lot of people know just how important gut health is to your general health, both physical, psychological, and emotional, and making your own fermented foods and drinks is cheaper than buying them at the store and much more delicious than popping pills. You can also come say hi on my Facebook page, Life After Sugar, as well as on my Instagram account at My Life After Sugar, which is where I post pictures of what I eat, my life in general, and, you know, Instagram stuff so that you can see that it is totally possible to have a fun and active life even when you don't eat sugar. And you can get all the support and the encouragement and the guidance you need to break free from sugar when you join us in the After Sugar Club. Just go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the green button, Join the Club. All right, here's my chat with Colly. So Colly, so great to talk to you today. And can you tell me a little bit about your background with sugar? Oh, absolutely. And thank you very much, first and foremost, Netta. I'm, I'm honored and humbled to be here with you today and with your, your listeners. It's a real, it's a privilege. It really is. And I thank you for having me here today. Uh, likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, because of my age, um, I was blessed to come from a family where they were more into uh, the roots, the root vegetables. And I know things in the body, once it's processed, turn into sugar. But I didn't have, uh, in my generation, I didn't have the processed foods or the uh, artificial flavorings and the MSGs and, and all the things that they put into food today. So with my daughter, it was very interesting. I'll start with her because I was very much into um, eating the best that I could in terms of my knowledge base when I had my daughter. Uh, 
I was very strict and uh, strict with my diet when I was pregnant. I absolutely had no sugar that I, you know, no added sugars. Um, I didn't drink coffee. I didn't uh, eat anything that I thought would harm um, the fetus. And also to, to give myself energy. So um, when she was born, I, you know, was blessed that I could nurse her and she was very healthy, very extremely healthy. I don't remember my daughter being, I think she had a cold maybe once or twice in, wow. in, in her childhood. Right. Um, but it was interesting because I was into um, eating well, as well as I knew how to. Um, she, of course, being in, in a school and having friends that didn't eat the same way as we did. And, and I, I played with food. I, I loved to explore. So I, I went in and out of different, um, I'd say, genres of, of food. So sometimes I did macrobiotics. Sometimes I did fit for life. Sometimes I did eat right for your blood type. So I followed all those and I followed them for my husband and my daughter. Different, we were in the different blood types. And one day my daughter came home from school and um, she started to show signs of not wanting to eat dinner. And I, I thought, well, you know, maybe my cooking is off or whatever. And she just said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not hungry, mommy. I, I ate at Jessica and Jessica was a lovely girl she had met. She had moved from New York to Toronto. This is when we lived in Toronto. And she would go there after schools and sometimes Jessica would come to our place. So one day I just, talked to her mother and I said, um, gee, you know, I, I don't mean to impose upon you by having season, you know, be there and, you know, eating as well as whatever. Oh, she said, no problem. She says, I just give them, you know, you know, a sandwich. And I said, oh, that's great. Well, you know, do you mind if I ask what it is? And she said, well, it's white bread and butter and, and white sugar. Oh, and I, exactly. I went, oh, so at that point, my daughter was starting to gain weight and I couldn't understand it. I thought, not from the food I'm putting into, is it hormonal because, you know, or is it, or is it, or is it right? And uh, no, it, it, she was putting on the weight and it, and it started from, from that. So it, it, I have a very strong opinion <laughs> on yeah. sugar. Um, yeah. And, and of course, you know, um, at that point too, there was, you know, started to show a little bit of thyroid deficiency and things like that, which, you know, was taken care of. But um, till this day, if she, and now she has, you know, she went the other way with food for a while as, as teenagers do. And, and now as a mother herself, she's reverted right back to, interestingly enough, where, where I was with her in childhood. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So that, that was a really strong, I would just say pivot point for me. And then I really came to understand, uh, because I was raised my father's side of the family, all his family, um, his brothers and sister and his father, um, not his mother, but all of them were alcoholics and they're all deceased, but, and, and a lot of people just don't get, get it how much sugar is in alcohol, but, um, it, it, it really plays alcohol really plays into so many factors because of the pancreas and the liver and, and just everything and the mood. And a lot of times people don't understand the mood, you know, there's a, your happy drinker and then there's your angry drinker. Right. So the way that the sugar breaks down in the body in alcoholism um, is, is very fascinating to me because I lived it with 
with my, my dad. I lived it with my ex-husband and I lived it, you know, we were married for 17 years and um, then I was single for a long time. And then I met a gentleman and um, he too uh, was an alcoholic in recovery, but then three years or actually six years into the relationship, his mother passed away and he started to, to use again. And, and it was like day and night, the person. And, and finally I, I just, you know, it, it caused me to, to leave. So um, yeah, I don't have much great news for people listening about (laughs) the consumption of, of sugar. Yes, yes. Because, you know, a lot of people who um, either follow keto or some other kind of plan will say, well, hard liquor doesn't have carbs or sugar. And so that is it kind of puts that type of alcohol on. If you're only looking for carbs or sugar, then, you know, you can make yourself believe that hard liquor is fine. But yeah. So but of course, hard liquor like gin and whiskey and rum and all those kinds of drinks I mean they have what 40% alcohol Mm -hmm. and that type of alcohol is really bad for your liver you know whether or not it has actual residual sugar in it like say wine would have is is kind of a moot point because it's going to screw up your liver if you drink it and if you drink it you know to a certain level. Right, right. And oh, for sure. For sure. And it, I mean, what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is that it's not just about your liver. It's also, of course, about your mood and how you behave and how you go up and down in your, you know, either happy, then angry, then out of control and then tired. And Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, and then everything, everything happens in a household with, especially with children, I mean, children are so innocent and, and they, they come into this world with the birthright to be healthy. They come into the world and they have a, their birthright is to be loved and to be healthy. And in that environment, what they're exposed to upon, you know, coming out of the womb and then the, that environment sets everything in motion, right? Absolutely. So if they're exposed to mom or dad drinking a lot and fighting and not even fighting, but the mood, the mood swings are, that, that's one of the things that I, I really noticed uh, were, were the mood swings with people that really did a lot um, and, and not even a lot of drinking, just, you know, I, and my ex-husband right now, for example, is in France and he's on keto <laughs> and he's just suffered a stroke. And he, he, two days later, he was released because they couldn't find anything in his body so he was released and then he suffered a heart attack and had two heart stints put in and um, has to have two more. And it's very interesting because a year ago um, in talking with him and him talking to my daughter, because they're very close, um, he had a cardio workout and he was fine. And he's been on keto for just a year now. So he's really ramped up. I, I'm, I'm not aware of exactly what that means in terms of what his diet intake has been. I just know it's high fat, apparently, um, and lots of whatever. But he drinks wine every day. Uh, yes, I mean there are to go with to go to go with the the steaks. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's right. So there's correlations to that can be made between you know some something that you're consuming and heart 
disease or, or what he had heart attack. But I mean, it has been shown by studies, um, many studies that actually it's not saturated fat from steaks or meat that, that necessarily that affect the heart, but no. it, it is probably something else I'm not going to mention the name sugar because surely it can't be that. <laughs> well, no, no, of course not. It wouldn't be the sugar in the wine. <laughs> of course not. But I mean, you know, and then we learn, you know, that, oh, wait a minute. He's also been drinking quite a lot of wine. So it's sort of like, are you, you know, are they blaming the steak or are they blaming the wine? Or how can we make these kinds of, you know, correlations, yeah. relationships mm -hmm. when it's actually just a correlation? Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's very interesting how it all plays, right? It, it really is. And, and um, the, I, I can't even begin to imagine how much sugar, I mean, I've seen stats on, on, you know, what children are consuming these days with, you know, with French fries from McDonald's and, and ketchup and the different additives and, and just the different condom you know condiments it, it, it's mind-blowing actually and the and the cereals I mean I, I don't know how children even learn in school anymore you know not to say anything against teachers but just what they start their day out with um, and and some children you know don't have the privilege of having adequate nutrition and and parents are doing their best and you know sometimes it's just Cheerios or it's just whatever to get them out the door right yeah. And then, and even school lunches or school breakfasts, you know, that they mm -hmm. have, you know, the, the what breakfast club, I don't know what they're called exactly all over the world, but right. we have them here and it's basically sugar plus sugar plus sugar plus juice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then sit there quietly and learn. Oh, what do you mean you can't sit quietly? Oh, they must have oh, ADHD, and oh, they, you know, they're learning deficit. And oh, so let's put them into a, a special learning class to make them feel even better about themselves. And then let's put them on a drug to calm them down. Well, actually, let's put them on speed because then it drops the cortisol and they will calm down because they have no choice. It's, it's so backward. And yes, it's so it's traumatizing. And that's where trauma, you know, with children comes in, not just being in an environment that is not uh, conducive and healthy, but you know, it, and then they go to school and the environment's not healthy either because then there's bullying and it, there's all these things, these, all these factors, right? Traumatized. And right now with COVID, oh my goodness, trauma is, is through the roof. Absolutely. Your, your field of expertise is in trauma, right? Right, it is. Mm -hmm. I, I have the privilege of, of being a uh, specialized uh, trauma therapist um, in the field of, you know, studying with uh, family constellations. So my background in that is systemic trauma and uh, intergenerational trauma. And it's interesting because it doesn't even start necessarily with us. Uh, it just doesn't, it starts way back in our family, family, family way back. And, and there are a lot of great things that come out of our families. You know, there's a lot of resources that come through them to us. A lot of times we, we don't understand that, but there are some really good things. And when I work with people, children included, uh, you know, I, I don't work with children that are under the age of 10, but um, when I work with children or, or adults, um, I make sure that I always give them from their past, 
situations and circumstances of resilience and resources. Because if you work with, I, I don't know how other people work, but if, if a person doesn't have resources and the resilient to see how resilient they have been, um, then re-traumatization can happen very quickly. And the last thing I ever want to do in, in my work is to re-traumatize someone. So I've made sure through all the, the experiences I've had in life, um, and I've had a lot, that uh, I don't do that with my clients. I make sure they're very, uh, very resourceful and they have those resources before they, they do a session. You can't do this work unless you've been through tremendous amount of trauma. And so when people come to you, um, or to, when they go to any whatever, therapist, whatever. psychologist, whatever, they know right away, they can feel it. Their soul can feel it with regards to whether or not the person has actually embodied, experienced and worked through it. And um, so, cause you know, there was a moment in time where I was like, well, how can, you know, how can I help people with this and stuff? And you know, the beauty of it, Netta, is that trauma heals. It's not that it, it, it's not that it ever has to be talked to talk through in terms of going to see someone every week. And, you know, because the way the brain is um, neuroplasticity, right? The brain can change very quickly and, and it all starts with our beliefs and we don't have to live with the beliefs that other people have transposed upon us. So I always ask clients, you know, are these your beliefs or did you borrow them from someone? And if you borrowed something from someone, you can always give it back. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Isn't and, right? and, and, and not with, you know, with meanness or unkindness, you just, thank you for this. I, I don't need it anymore. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. Yes. And we don't, I mean, I certainly didn't make that connection between trauma and consumption of sugar, junk food, um, like emotional eating but of course in the last six years since I've been sugar-free and and studying it a lot more and and talking to so many people that connection is definitely there for many many people oh for sure I mean I like I say with regards to my generation growing up on wholesome food and root vegetables and 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 you know there was nothing processed and no additives to most of it and so to see how much has shifted for children now and even going back starting you know my daughter's 38 so even starting when she was let's say eight and then coming to to see the introduction to the various foods that are highly processed so you take that and then you take families that don't understand what the food is doing to them, that they have actually some control over what they consume and how their life can be, as opposed to how they get stay stuck in this rut of nothing ever changes, nothing works, no, no, no. And so trauma upon trauma, because the body's being traumatized through the food. Mm -hmm. And then the body is also acting because the brain is acting out what the body's, you know, the mind and body are connected. We can't, you chop your head off, you have no, no body, right? So the mind always drives the body in dominant and our thoughts create our reality. So the trauma lives in our body, in our cells. Yes, from ancestors past. Yes, from situations that we go through every day, it can happen. 
but the consumption of the foods exasperates it. Yes, yes. And what about, what's your experience with emotional eaters who, myself included before, who would go to sugary foods or junk foods or chips or even bread, for me, bread was my thing as well, to find some kind of comfort so that we don't have to deal with our trauma. I mean, I, I never sort of, I was in denial about having any kind of trauma. You know, mm-hmm. it, it sounds so dramatic. Yeah. But trauma on whatever level. Yeah. Small or large. How, like, what do you notice about people using these types of foods to cope with their trauma? Well, I'm working with people in, in sabotage. And uh, as a freedom from self-sabotage coach, what I find is that people always go to the familiar. So the subconscious does not like new. So whatever the subconscious has become used to is familiar. It's called the safe card. This is safety for me. This is my safe card. This is my go-to. So when people are emotionally stressed, they will reach for what is familiar, what will give them that feeling of, oh, safety. Oh, you know, the the spears are not coming after me, you know, because what we do is we live, all of us live in our own castles. And I'm not talking about the structure of the house we live in, but we live in our own castle in our mind. And we grew up in a certain castle. And if we dared step outside the castle, well, the spears might come after us. And, you know, we don't dare go over the drawbridge to the other side because who knows, we're going to get destroyed. So we better stay where it's familiar. So with comfort food, you know, with your expertise in in how this all works with sugar, especially, um, it, it just, it satiates and it seduces And it's very comforting because it is a seduction, right? It's like, ah, oh, yeah. And then even if they beat themselves up for it because they're, oh, shit, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have, you know, eaten that. But then it's, then, then it, then I need more. I got to reach for more because I've just beat myself up. So in the work I do with people with regards to that uh, is the subconscious literally has to be hacked. Mm. And when I say hacked, it has to be hacked to the point where a new familiar is created. You've yeah, created a, a, new, a, a new normal, a new normal, a new familiar, so that it's so safe that you can't possibly go back to the way it was because that's not familiar anymore. Mm. And so consequently, because it's not familiar, you don't want it and it's not safe. So it's a matter of taking the what is familiar, which is reaching for this, gobbling it down, drinking it down, Oh, euphoria. And then, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, no. You know, and then, oh, I got to eat some more because they just did that. (laughs) I mean, we laugh at it now, but at the time. No, it's not funny at the time. It's harsh. It really is. And so so that's what it is. It's, It's creating a new familiar, a new safe card. And it's easy to do. This is the thing. It's easy to do. It doesn't take forever. It doesn't feel easy at the time. No, 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 it doesn't. No, it really doesn't. And how can we get from this feeling of, um, first of all, I wasn't aware back then that I had this type of relationship to sugar or this type of behavior. 
right? Or, right. or the sort of emotional need for sugar. I wasn't aware of any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you had come along and told me six years ago, you know, Neto, it's actually pretty simple um, to change your, your known habit for another familiar habit. I would have said, no, I, it's impossible for me. Right, right, yeah. How People... can you make something impossible easy and simple? It's a mindset. It's a mindset. It's, it's, um, I, I do when I work with people specifically on sabotaging, um, it, it sounds, <laughs> I'm gonna, it's going to sound crazy simple, but it is. And it's, you know, it's three sessions and, and I've never had anyone go, it didn't work. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it, believe me, it's not, it's not an easy start with me because the questionnaire itself sometimes can take people a month to do because it does go through your foods. It does go through your behaviors. It does go through things. So when I, when I myself was doing the training, I I literally, you know, when I had to do the questionnaire, I wanted to rip it up and throw it away and go, this is insanity. This is not going to work. And then I pushed through it literally and came out the other side of it. And I was like, wow. And, and, and so within, you know, like I say, that's one session and then another session and then the, the next session and and um it ju- it just does it just works amazing amazing it, it is yeah it you know it's freedom and that's why it's called freedom from self-sabotage because we we don't believe that we can have that freedom that there is a that there is a new familiar because we don't think in terms of familiar like you say it's a new normal right so we, we have no concept of, of what that could be or what we could feel like until we get to the other. And then when, like for me now with things I was working on when I was in the training, I was like, wow, that's like, it's like so gone now. <laughs> and there's no, there's no reach for it. You know, there's no desire. Yeah. Just desire. And it's that's amazing. about trauma. Sorry. I just say this, you know, with trauma, um, what happens is when a person is traumatized, it kills desire. And so I work to rekindle desire in people to help them, you know, ignite the fire within the the desire to live abundantly, fulfillingly in all areas of their life. That means health, mental, physical, spiritual, just to, because it's doable. That is very powerful. That's amazing. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Oh, I'm so easy to be reached. (laughs) Um, I have a website. It's just my name, CollieKCristanti.com. And uh, I will have, um, in the very near future, um, there'll be another website specifically for, um, only for self-sabotage. The website that I just uh, gave you the link to, and it is Family Constellations, but they can reach out for me for self-sabotage through that as well. And uh, my, my email, inner expression, I-N-N-E-R expression, uh, singular 88 at gmail.com. So inner expression 88 at gmail.com. And uh, thanks to you, Netta, who I adore and cherish, I'm going to um, be creating a podcast as well. Yay. So yes, and thank you so much for that, because uh, I love to speak and I like to speak rather than to be seen. <laughs> I, I mean, I do both, especially with clients, right? But I do love to, uh, I love to share knowledge and I love, I just, I'm here to help.
I truly never look at what I've been through in my life with anything as anything but a blessing because now I've been able to embody it and through embodiment be able to uh, now understand and bring it to others who are, are in search. And uh, I would never have met you. Oh, yeah. And that, oh. you know, I would never have met you had I not been on the journey that I, I went on, right? I'm grateful. So grateful uh, for you. Thank you, Kali. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so fantastic talking to you. Yeah, and- thank you. And and I'm I'm so thrilled at what you're doing. Um, it's so beyond thrilled because it's crucial. What we put into the body, we become. We really do. I love that. I love yeah. that. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. For thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, awesome. Ah, oh, that was great talking with Kali. And, you know, I consider that I'm not very, like, in touch with my feelings and I never really saw my relationship with sugar or with comfort foods or with food in general as anything but normal. I mean, it was normal to want chocolate after a hard day at work or cake when you're celebrating and pizza when you're too exhausted to cook. I mean, that was normal for me. And I get what Kali is saying because now I have a new normal. And it's not because I'm preventing myself from eating those foods. You don't have to restrict what you eat when you choose to put your own well-being first and what you eat is part of that. So thank goodness that those people like Kali And really, the approach of life after sugar is to help you get to a place where you don't need or miss sugar anymore because you just feel good without it. And if you want to get to that place of really feeling free from sugar, then come join us in the After Sugar Club. Go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the green button, Join the Club. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then please rate it and scroll down and leave a review and let me know how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. And don't forget to subscribe so that the podcast magically appears in your podcast player every Sunday. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.